We've got a real mixture of topics this week. Yeah. We've got the pretty major breakthrough on insurance, construction insurance for apartment blocks. We've got uh, the Airbnb register that you've got to be on if you want to rent property on Airbnb. Wow, is that finally De- November? The, November the 1st, they got people have got to be registered on it by. I don't know what happens if they're not on it after that. Maybe something Jeez, comes around. that's and- incredible because I never realised, I never thought it was actually going to finally happen. No, it seemed to be no. kind of shelved so many times. But then, you know, Airbnb or short-term letting kind of ceased to exist for a while because, because of COVID. And then there's a weird story that's come up through the forum about CCTV and who gets to view Strata mm-hmm. CCTV. Mm. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the flat chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for domain. And this is the flat chat wrap. So the big news, there is a panel being set up to establish a basis for insurance on apartment block construction. This is fantastic. And I mean, this is really big news because it's been 18 years, Yeah, 18 years since any building over three stories high has been able to get home insurance. And that's because... Home warranty insurance. Yeah, because they kept falling down. Well, that's right. They had so many defects and we... We just had a survey out that said just about half the new apartment blocks in New South Wales have defects. At and, least, I think. Yeah, at least half. Yeah. And, and at least because it's become apparent that people are discovering defects in their buildings and just hide them, you know, mm. just don't yeah. want to report them because they end up having to pay for them because the developers just disappear. Mm. So that's all that's going to change. It is. And I mean, this is... This is the result of the government, I mean, give them their, their due, appointing the building commissioner two years ago. Yeah. And he's been working quite hard to try and clean up the industry. And I think they're talking about this as the final plank in the series of reforms because he seems to be doing so well with lots of orders on buildings which are which aren't being constructed well. Them, yeah. They now feel more confident about asking insurers to provide warranty. Well, that's right, because he's also introduced this thing where all developers now have to put in their plans and any change of plans they're putting in. So, you know, if you buy a a one-bedroom apartment, it doesn't turn out to be a studio or you buy something you thought was three bedrooms and it's suddenly minuscule, like a broom cupboard. And so that they can plot the DNA of every building from the beginning to the end. Yeah. And so therefore, they, there's not so much room for developers to, well, bad developers to kind of wriggle. Yeah. And so now the insurance industry feels confident enough in the raft of new buildings to be able to propose insurance. And this is insurance that developers will have to buy. Right. And if they're a bad developer with a bad track record, then insurers are going to refuse to insure them. Right, because this is one of the issues that's going to be thrashed out by this panel is, will the insurance be compulsory or will it be optional? That's right. And if it's compulsory, then maybe the bad developers will have to pay more for the insurance than the good developers. Yeah. And if it's not compulsory, 
then when those buildings are up for sale, when the apartments off the plan are put up for launch, the buyer will say, well, this building, maybe the apartment is a little bit more expensive, but it's backed by insurance, which means that if there are any defects uncovered, they're going to be fixed. Or should I buy a cheaper apartment in a building that I don't know very much about, which doesn't have insurance? And who's going to do that? Really? Who's going to do that? Exactly. I mean, you might get some sort of crazy investors who think i'm going to take a punt on this but if the developer oh. can't get the insurance mm. i don't know it, that it, any investors no, are that no. crazy so really. it's kind of it is compulsory in a way yeah that's right so hopefully it will really drive the dodgy developers and the bad builders out of the market completely out of new south wales they'll all, well, go, they'll all go to victoria and queensland <laughs> well i talked to the minister kevin anderson about this and i said will they all go elsewhere and he said oh no 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 we don't want to we don't want to chuck our rubbish to other states but then i don't know how they're going to prevent that really yeah. but maybe the other states will follow new south wales lead and yeah. um, start doing this this stuff themselves especially if these awful developers go to their states and start building terrible buildings. Well, you know, we, we heard this week also that half the buildings in Victoria are supposed to have defects. Mm. Um, I'm not sure about that survey that was done, but it wouldn't surprise me. And the thing about Victoria and Queensland, in New South Wales, it's been a process. We brought in the building commissioner and then they gave him laws to back up his work. Really powerful and they changed the law so that builders are liable for 10 years for their, they have a duty of care to the owners of the apartments rather than the developers. And then he, David Chandler, started identifying bad buildings and telling them if they didn't fix the buildings, they weren't going to get uh, an occupation occupants. certificate. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's all part of a process that now leads him to the point where he's able to go to the big insurers and say, okay, guys, we've done our bit. Now, how about you you back up the work that's been done, mm. do your evaluation, find out how much it's likely to cost you if any of the buildings do turn out to be faulty. But we've done our best to make sure that won't happen. Yeah. Because insurance is all about assessment of risk. Yes. And if risk is minimalised, yeah. then insurance should be pretty easy to, to supply. Yeah. I mm. mean, it's kind of like as you get older, your car insurance goes down because you're less likely to have an accident. <laughs> well, it's true. You know, yeah. the highest the highest rates are among for young people because they're the most likely to have accidents. Yeah, absolutely. And so now the ministerial advisory panel has been appointed and we know that the owner's representative, the OCN, is on that. They have yeah. a seat at the table. There are developers there as well. I mean, you kind of have to assume it's mostly the good developers who are there because they're keen to get the insurance. Well, the names that jump out are Meriton, who are probably the biggest. Yeah, that's right. And Fraser's, Toga. I think, are there. Yeah, sure. And also the Strata um, Community Australia. Strata oh, Community Chris Association. Duggan. Yep, they're, they're there as well. keep him off a committee, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's Mr. Committee. Yeah, but he's he works hard and he's he's done well with SEA and they've now about to have their professional accreditation yes. thing, whatever that is. But. Yep, absolutely. And the chairperson has just been appointed as well and he's a former president of the Insurance Council of Australia. Right. And I had a chat to him this week and 
Interestingly, he owns two apartments, so he's really uh. into apartments. He bought one as an investment, and he's just bought another one to downsize into from his family home. Wow. So, so well, he has a real in the family then. Yeah, so he'll have a real interest and understanding of strata issues. So the insurers will come in. People will have more confidence in the buildings. And the other thing, the other aspect of this that often is neglected is that if builders fix the defects during the building process, it's about a tenth of the cost of having to come and fix them afterwards. afterwards. So it will really be in their interest to get them fixed because, A, they won't get away with shortcuts because, you know, the building commission will come and inspect it. And, B, they don't want to end up having to pay out on their insurance. Mm. So it's just great news all the way around. And I, I think it's fantastic. You know, it's probably 20 years since we... Bought an apartment, had huge problems, mm. and you know we, we've kind of been campaigning ever since for the the industry to be tightened up. Yeah, and you know I got quite emotional when I heard about this actually, right. to be honest, because it just felt like the final stage in a long, long battle. Yeah, and I kind of thought back to the time when, as a journalist, I wrote my first story about defects. And the newspaper was really nervous about the story because they had advertisers who were developers and, and it caused an enormous well, fuss. Well, you had, I mean, let's, without naming names, you had a journalist in that newspaper who had a friend who was a developer and she called the developer and said, there's this awful story going in. And the developer called the advertisers, or called the editor and said, if that story goes in, I'm going to pull all my advertising. That's right. Yeah. So it, it was a horrible so time. So it's a long way around from, from them. Yeah. And that's really when I ended up leaving a newspaper job because I didn't want to work full time for a company that would cave in mm, so that easily, easily yeah. to financial pressure. So it was a, it was a very emotional, difficult time that back then. So now it just feels like things are finally working out for the poor downtrodden apartment buyer. You know, they, hopefully they're <laughs> going to get now what they've actually paid for, yeah. and apartment living is going to be you know a great place. I mean, yes. we many of us live in apartments. Many of us love it. I wouldn't live in a house again. Mm. I've just um, thought of the other side of this, of course, is once apartment living becomes more popular, then there's going to be more demand and the prices are going to go up. No, there'll be more building, Jimmy. Ah. So um, there'll be more supply because there'll be more demand. Right. Um, And we'll we'll have lots of really great apartment buildings around the place. Well, that'd be good. I think it'll be fantastic. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing a story about... Lots of older people now um, who would have traditionally have gone into sort of little villas in retirement villages now going to more um, apartment buildings, really, which are right. retirement, especially done for them, luxurious retirement villages, but vertical ones. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's every age group now. It's families going to apartments. It's singles, professional couples. It's older people. And I think everybody's enjoying the lure of low-maintenance living. Yes. And, and what a great lifestyle it can offer. Right. Okay. Sorry, so, do I sound a bit... Like you're selling. I do a bit, don't I? <laughs> but I just love apartment living, and I just want apartment living to be as good as it possibly can be. Yeah. And suddenly there's hope on the horizon that it might be. But it's funny, you know, one of the, the mindset changes over recent years, like they're building, I think they were building a new school in Ultimo, or roundabout there, and... 
you realise that it's a medium to high-rise building. That's right. There's no reason why, if you can have high-rise dwellings and high-rise offices, then you can have high-rise schools as well. Yes, and in Green Square, they're going to be building a high-rise school, and the lower floors are all going to be able to be used by the community as well. So, you know, if you've got a netball court, well, the community can come in after hours and and use it too, so it can be shared facilities as well, which makes an awful lot of sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Terrific. Well, it's good news. It's a good good way to start the podcast. Mm. When we come back, we're going to be talking about, well, it might be good news for some people and not such good news for other people. That is the Airbnb registry, and which coincides with the state being opened up for travel. That's after this. So two things. At least two things are going to happen on November the 1st. Oh, yeah. One of them is that we're all going to be able to travel a bit more uh, within the state. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, we can travel out to the regions. Yes. In New South Wales. In New South Wales. And Victoria? I don't know. I think they're still wrangling that one. Yeah, but they're opening up gradually as well. So yes. kind of maybe and, they're a week behind us or something. But And pretty soon we're going to be in that situation where you're going to be able to fly to Bali but not to Perth. For a holiday. Well, it looks like Perth is off limits until maybe Easter next year, they're talking about. It's quite incredible. And there's going to be foreign tourists are going to be able to come here, Mm. provided they're double vaxxed and have passed the COVID test on their Mm. way out. Mm. Which brings us to the other thing that's happening on November the 1st, which is the New South Wales short-term holiday letting registry comes in finally. And, and in fact, you've got to you've got to be registered if you're going to rent your property legally. The code of conduct, fire safety regulations won't come in until Easter next year. Mm. The, and the thinking of the delay on that is, people haven't been able to get to their rental properties to put in all because you've got to put in all the signage and things like that. I mean, they're doing the thing that you have to have in hotels if you are renting uh, bedrooms then the bedroom door has to have an exit map on the bedroom oh, door. okay, sure. On each bedroom door. Even and if you're just in a little house. Even if you're just in a little house, but especially if you're in, a, in an apartment. Oh, okay. Because those people might not realise, you know, if there was a fire or something, you can't They'd use no the lifts. Idea. You've got to walk down the fire stairs. And they don't know where the fire stairs are. Yeah. And I remember we had a, a house sitter once in our apartment looking after our cats. And um, she left one day and she went down for some bizarre reason down the fire stairs and she got trapped inside the fire stairs because she couldn't get out again. Yeah. And um, she didn't speak much English and it was just a horrendous experience. But she'd gone down, <laughs> she'd gone all the way to the bottom and missed the, the exit. exit door, mm. which, you know, in, in a fire, yeah. the that door's going to open when you pre- press the bar. Yeah. It's going to open for you. Yeah, that was, but it was a good example of how people are unfamiliar Mm. Um, they could get trapped quite easily. That's why I mentioned it, Jimmy. Right. So (laughs) I was agreeing with you, Susan. So this registry comes in on November the 1st, and all the local authorities, their laws on short-term letting are wiped on November the 1st. So here in City of Sydney, up until then, you could live in a building that was given planning approval on the basis that short-term letting was not allowed. Mm. That goes. That that just gets completely wiped, and it's replaced by the short-term letting laws, which allow strata schemes within 
Greater Sydney to have a bylaw that says you cannot have short-term letting. Wow. So suddenly lots of buildings that maybe don't have a bylaw like that might be looking to put one in. Yeah, but there are loopholes. One of them is if you're doing short-term letting in your principal place of residence, Mm. it is neither applicable to have the bylaws or the limit on the number of nights Because Greater Sydney, it's 180 nights a year limit. Um, Outside, apart from Byron Bay, it's open slather. If you're renting in your principal place of residence, that doesn't apply. The bylaws do not apply. Now, what is a principal place of residence? Is the intention of that, that if you're living somewhere, you can rent out like one room because you're actually present all the time, so there's not going to be a problem because you're there. Yep. But... Really, a principal place of residence might mean, as you said, that people might live there for four days a week and then just rent out the place, go away and stay at home or something. Yeah, or go and stay with their partner, go go and stay with their family at the weekends. And then actually just rent the whole place out so, you know, the neighbours have got the problem. And, you know, weekends are the peak times for Mm. short-term letting. That's Mm. when people come to go to football matches and things like that. So... The peril is there. So I contacted Fair Trading, um, or was it planning? Because it's one of these weird things that falls between the two and said, what is your legal definition of principal place of residence? And they said, it's basically where somebody sleeps more often than they don't sleep there and leaves their clothes there and their personal items. That's a principal place of residence. So if you leave a couple of dresses somewhere... Yeah, you lock a cupboard with all your kit in it. Mm. And... That's no good, is it? Do that four night a week. I mean, you you imagine somebody who's... Maybe they've got family, they've got a farm, or they've got friends who live by the sea. Or we had friends who went to stay on their boat. Yes. So what they do is they lock up the clothes in a cupboard or whatever, but they come in on a Monday... Monday morning or even Monday evening after they've been to work. They sleep Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights. After work on Friday, they go to their other place and the Airbnb people come in and that is still their principal place of residence. Mm. And it's also still that their neighbours have to put up with different people every weekend coming into the property. And I guess, you know, maybe that's a, an extreme case or an unusual case. I think... When buildings start putting in bylaws and trying to enforce them, people will find ways around it. Mm. I think the idea was, and it obviously came from the big rental agencies, that this is their part of their sharing thing, you know, like Airbnb started with people sharing their house mm. and then evolved very quickly into basically the a holiday rental commercial. Really. Yeah. And this is to try and maintain that idea that people can share their home Mm. it's not sharing Mm. it's only sharing if you're there Mm. it's only sharing if you're there and saying to people hey how would you like to come to my favorite cafe and my favorite pub and and the rest of it it's just a commercial operation Mm. and the thing is that these regulations here in new south wales will be the most stringent in the whole of australia so i think we need to get it right. Get it right, but I think that there's as little chance it will get changed for a while until mm. it becomes a serious problem. Mm. Okay, so that's one we should keep our eye on there. Yeah, I mean, how do you check? How do you say 
to the who do you complain to? Well, there's the the registry, but who do you complain to to say, hey, I don't think this person's leaving their clothes in the house in the flat. Mm, there should be a short-term letting busters agency. <laughs> I I offer my services to be the head of that agency. <laughs> to knock on people's doors at three o'clock in the morning and say, you're not really living here, we know. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about a strange, quirky part of strata law, which is all over Australia, from what we can tell, and uh, is upsetting quite a lot of people. And it's who gets to watch the video from your CCTV system. Mm. That's after this. So a lot of strata schemes have CCTV for good reason. Like in their lobby and... Yeah, and uh, around a swimming pool. And the reason for that could be security or actually just as a kind of deterrent on people behaving properly. Mm. I mean, in the swimming pool case, you could have like our swimming pool, there's signs up saying don't bring glassware because people want to go down with their champagne and whatnot and have a drink at the side of the pool, which is fine. But if they drop a bottle or glasses into the swimming pool, the whole swimming pool has to be drained so they can make sure there's no glass left. Mm. So the swimming pool is out of action for two or three days. What's wrong with plastic glasses? Good well, God. I know, I know. Yeah. People, they don't see the sign until they get there, you know, and they've got their, their little basket full of crystal glasses and they go, oh, I can't be bothered going up or I don't have plastic glasses, whatever. Or it could be somebody slips on a tile or, or you know, whose fault was it, all that stuff. Mm. There are valid reasons for having CCTV. Then there's the question of who gets to view it, because a lot of schemes will say only the strata manager or only the committee get mm. to view. And you kind of go, well, that's that's reasonable. They've been given responsibility. It turns out that in most states, the documents held by the strata scheme must be made available to all the owners. Oh, so that includes the film It's a CCTV? document. It's a document. And we've had on the forum, we've had one strata manager write to us and say, yeah, we had this situation where an owner insisted on their right to view our video footage and we couldn't prevent them. And then it turned out that that person was wanting to see that for nefarious reasons. Oh, no. They were spying on somebody. Right. And then it goes into a whole other area of the Privacy Act because you can film anybody anywhere doing anything as long as you're not recording their speech without their permission. But one of the exclusions is if you are doing that for nefarious purposes. So you have this strange thing where the law says you have to let people see the video, but there's a very good reasons for not making that open slather. Mm. I mean, in New South Wales, you pay $32 or something to see documents. But one of the people who alerted us to this is from the Unit Owners Association of Queensland. They put it out in their newsletter, and there it's $18. Mm. And so they mocked up this sign saying, this area is under CCTV scrutiny. If you want to re- watch the recordings, pay $18. <laughs> <laughs> but they uh, took part in a seminar just last week with two strata experts that I did the debate with. That I 
And they were saying, yeah, it's true, you've got to let people see the footage. And they said, well, should you put up a sign saying that you can have access to the footage? And they said, well, it's not legally required, but it would be the diligent thing to do. So it kind of opens up the whole business it would be very smart for any scheme that has CCTV to have a bylaw that says you are able to view CCTV under certain circumstances. So they can't stop you legally, but what they can say is, okay, for instance, you've got to fill in a form, you've got to say what your reasons for doing it are and what you intend to do with the information. And maybe you have to go to the strata manager's office to see it. Oh, well, that would be a given because yeah. actually you have to do that for documents anyway. Because another building quite close by, a resident asked to see the CCTV footage that she thought she might be on. And there was kind of a row about it. And in the end, they said, OK. And then she asked for, to see the CCTV footage all the time at the front desk, which caused enormous problems, I think, for the concierge because right. it took up so much time and energy and it was difficult and it was argumentative. And yeah. So so that's the real problem too. When some people wanted a, a video link to their computer or their TV, I mean, it's... <laughs> And I think if you have a bylaw that says, yes, you can see what's on the CCTV under controlled circumstances, and I think that's valid because remember there was a case in our building where there was a court case and the results of the case were sealed, which meant they're not available to the public. Right. But there were owners in the building who were able to go and say, we are entitled to see that because we as owners in the building were party effectively to that mm. court case. Mm. So they were able to see a sealed document. So I think they went to the strata manager's office and they had to sit there with the strata manager sitting beside them so that they didn't copy it mm. to make sure that nobody else outside could see it. And I think that's that's valid, that's relevant. You can say, okay, you can see the, the CCTV footage under controlled circumstances and these are the circumstances. You might even ask, you know, say it's a swimming pool, we need to get a police check that you are sure. an appropriate person to be yeah. viewing this footage. Yeah, fair enough, yeah. yeah. Especially if there's kids in the building or something. Yeah. yeah, but I think you've got to have some control rather than no control or mm. people can just turn up and say, I want to see the last 48 hours of CCTV footage mm. and, uh, you know, pass the popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> right. Gosh, it's a, it's a new world, isn't it, really? Yeah. I mean, this is one of the problems. I mean, strata laws were devised 50 years ago, more than 50 years ago, mm. and uh, there wasn't any such thing as CCTV, certainly not to the extent there is now. Mm. But I've heard of cases since we started discussing this on the forum where people have said, I want to see the CCTV to prove that that accident wasn't caused by me or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they've been told no, only the strata manager or the committee members can see that. And that's not true. That's mm. against the law. And that's not right either. No. Yeah. All right, Sue, thank you very much. Um, another podcast in the can. Thank you, Jimmy. It's always interesting talking to you. And thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flatchat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Wrap with a W, click on subscribe, and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. 
Thanks again. Talk to you again next week.